This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Tosha Silver. Tosha graduated from Yale with a degree in English literature, but along the way fell madly in love with yogic philosophy. For the past 30 years, she's taught people around the world ways to align with what she calls inner love. She runs an online school called Living Outrageous Openness, Think Like a Goddess, This school offers an ongoing way to support those who truly want to live these beautiful ancient practices. She's the author of the book, Outrageous Openness, and the new book, Change Me Prayers, The Hidden Power of Spiritual Surrender, where she shows how to truly surrender to a divine plan in a joyous and uplifting way. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Tosha and I spoke about offering tough situations in one's life to the divine and the signals that occur in life that tell you that it's time to do so. We also talked about the importance of being able to receive, whether that's love or financial abundance or happiness, and why so many of us have blocks to receiving and what types of change me prayers we might be able to invoke to help us. We also talked about guidelines for writing your own Change Me prayers, how to work with what Tosha calls a God box, the value of clearing clutter in your life, and how to align with the divine, even during times of difficulty and loss. Here's my very inspiring conversation with Tosha Silver. Tosha, welcome. It's great to have this chance to talk with you. Thanks, Tammy. Happy to be here. In your book, Outrageous Openness, you reference the writings and teachings of someone I had never heard of, a writer from the 1940s, Florence Scovel Shin. Who is Florence Shin, and how did her work influence you? Well, you know, She's a piece of the story for me. There's, there's a few others as well. But the piece that came from Florence is that she was a metaphysician in the 1940s, like you said. And she wrote about, she actually, one of her main books was called The Game of Life and How to Play It, which I thought was kind of a corny title when I first heard about it. But it was actually profound in its own way because it began to reference these ideas like divine source that I use in both books that I wrote later. And ideas like that, you know, if nothing actually belongs to you, the small self, you know, your money, your home, your body, really anything, that if it's all um, given to you through 
the largesse of divine source, and then you, you receive it as you're meant to receive it, and you let it go as you're meant to let it go, but that you're always anchored in a place of prosperity and abundance because God's your source, not each individual person, place, or thing. And so for me, that was one of the central ideas in her work that just captivated me because, you know, we live in a culture, even sometimes people that have been on spiritual routes for a very long time still go into the illusion from the culture that this stuff is ours. So that's the kind of thing she wrote about, and she also wrote about divine order, that there is, for any question, for any problem, you can actually invoke the divine and say that the perfect solution is already selected, and you're open to being guided to that. You're open to being shown the right actions. So there was a kind of... um, I'd say spiritual pragmatism to her. It's just like, how do you deal with the nitty-gritty of day-to-day problems and offer them to the divine? So I sort of took off from there and did my own contemporary way of approaching all this more deeply. But she was really a starting point for me. Now, when I asked you about Florence Shen, you said she was a part of the origin of your work with outrageous openness and divine order, but obviously there were other parts that you were pointing to in answering that way. What were the other main origin contributions? you know, it's kind of funny because it's it's such a different orientation than Florence Shin, but in the end it's related. If you know Nisargadatta Maharaj, the great Indian saint, I've, you know, he wrote the book, I Am That, and he, this, this focus, he had this line that has haunted me for years, which is basically when all desires are allowed to become preferences, then the universe begins to act through you instead of you acting. So it's like everything is done through you rather than by you. And I had heard that line from him for years and was basically like, but how do you do that? You know, that's a really great idea, but how do you actually get out of the way? I wasn't finding a lot of places that were saying, how do you do it? I mean, his approach was, you know, you, you, this, you will do this, this will happen, but I wasn't finding it was happening for me. And, and so I began to just play around inside my own that for me, having a, a bhakti orientation of seeing the divine as the beloved, it began to come to me that you could give this, you could give yourself to the divine, you could offer yourself to the divine, and that was a huge part of you know, why the title of Outrageous Openness is letting the divine take the lead. And the same thing with Change Me Prayers that came later was this idea that you yourself could call in the divine and say, take this action over, take me over, take this problem over, take this burden over. So he actually was a huge part of the process for me. Um, And then also just my own background that I had a crazy life of doing 30,000 sessions with my own clients and seeing the issues that came up over and over for people and wanting to find a practical way to uh, practical tools for how they could give themselves 
to something larger. 30,000 sessions as an astrologer, yeah. doing readings and, yeah. and what seeing certain patterns that or themes that people brought up? Yeah, yeah. And, and, I'm, and in particular, you know, just this very human thing of one way or another, you know, we're all taught to be the doer, right? So it would be like, well, tell me when the transits are going to change so I can finally buy the house I want, or tell me when, you know, a partner is going to come, or all the various things that, that people would ask about, or tell me when my body's going to feel better, and, and or even spiritually lofty ones, like, tell me when my sadhana is going to finally take fire and I'll be able to calm my mind. And, and so... You know, all these things just kept leaning me back to this idea that the more everything is offered to the divine, the more you're actually inviting that source to do the acting through you. And it's such a fundamental core shift that, you know, I'm not, certainly not the first person to talk about talk about it. I mean, Rumi and Hafez and all the Sufi poets talked about it day and night. The Christian mystics talked about it. But it's just that idea that you can pray and invite that force to do the doing. Now, you said something that I imagine might be difficult for some people to really digest, which is you said in studying the work of Florence Shin that one of the ideas that influenced you was this idea that nothing belongs to you, not your body, not your house, not your money. I find that a challenging thought. Nothing belongs to me, really? I mean, it's my car. If I walked out to the parking lot and it wasn't there, I think I would be like, hey, wait a second, I paid for that car. Excuse me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would say it's on loan. And of course, you know, you, you're, it's, I think it's part of why this act of taking care of everything with great love is so valuable. I mean, I don't think of it like, oh, well, it doesn't belong to me, so I'll go drive the car over a cliff. I think of it like everything is on loan from the divine. And you certainly know that because you watch in a heartbeat how it could be taken away. In a heartbeat in a fire, in a robbery. I had a big robbery at my house a few years ago, and it was kind of like, it was like the goddess Kali just walked in and took, took everything that she wanted and walked out. And I saw it that way in order to keep my sanity. Because then you really don't waste a lot of time being bitter and furious about it. And if you use the divine source idea that Florence talked about, then you could say it was easy for the divine to replace any loss. You know, there's a line, I think it's in the Bible, that says, in the, world of the, in the world of God, there is no gain or loss. And that's kind of this. It's only in the world of illusion that there's gain or loss. And then when you talk about this idea of doership, and you and I had a conversation on the phone a few weeks ago, and you talked about really how this core theme of releasing personal doership runs through all of your work. And I'm wondering if you can help people understand that, especially when it feels like, hey, you know, I'm the one who's going to have to do X, Y, Z, or even draw this very strong boundary in a certain situation. That requires a lot of doership to say, you know, hell no, 
in a situation. It feels like. But it feels it, like doership. I was going to say, yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for adding the feels like, because I, I, what I would say is that this act of offering everything to the divine has nothing to do with passivity. It has to do with the right actions emerging at the right time. And sometimes that means completely kicking ass and absolutely saying hell no to something and not being a doormat. So it has nothing to do with that. It's just that there's a shift of identity of who or what is doing that action through you. And I I guess the example I could give you is once I had to make a really hard phone call to somebody who was violating my boundaries. So I, I don't have any, you know, illusion of like, oh, you, the divine's taking the lead, you have no boundaries. It's quite the opposite. You actually get a self-respect that lets you set boundaries. So before I had to call this person, I did a meditation and a prayer, and I basically said to this force of love, do the talking. You need to do the talking. It's almost like if it was left up to me, the small self, the ego identity, I would have actually been <laughs> a lot more restrained about it. So mm-hmm. by calling in the divine and saying, you do the talking, I was able to really set very serious boundaries because something larger than me truly was doing it. I mean, I hung up the phone and I was like, whoa, hmm. whoa. And so, do you see what I mean? It's I do. really quite the opposite. It's, it's that you actually become open to something that's so far beyond the small self, limited manipulations and agendas. Now, this may be kind of a strange question, but do you have signals in your life when you know, oh, the small self has taken the driver's seat and is driving my life right now. I can tell because X, Y, Z, dot, dot, dot. What is it when you know? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say for me, but I think it's true for a lot of people, you're attached to outcome. I think that's, that's the, the premier thing, and it kind of goes back to that Nisargadatta quote where he says when, when desires become preferences, then everything happens through you. It's like, it's not getting rid of desires because they just, they come, as far as I feel it, they come with the terrain and they're, they're great, but they evolve into a preference, even if it's a deep preference, that creates space for detachment. And, and in that detachment is where you feel the divine. So I think, yeah, for me, I'll always know (laughs) because there's some part that starts flaring up that's like oh this is this is the outcome i would like and then i pretty quickly usually able to go that's a recipe for disaster at least it has been in my life and i offer it back so the 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 act of offering you know where you can say to the divine yeah i might prefer this but this is now handed 100% to you for the highest outcome to occur, then you suddenly just feel the space open up around you again because that controlling creates constriction. So you know right away it's a small self. And, and you know, it, it partly a lot of this happened for me, like I was saying, 
interesting because I would be on, you know, in different spiritual teachings, and the teachers would say, well, just surrender. And I would be, how? How? And, and to me, maybe for my nature, for people that have that orientation towards divine or to love, this was the key to begin to say to the divine, let me surrender, allow me to surrender, let me let go, let me offer this to you. The ego of its own won't want to do it. In this act of offering, is there something special you do? I mean, do you open your hands and have them face up? <laughs> do you light a candle? I mean, do you, is there something particular, that, like a ritual or something? Or is it just an inner shift and you say certain words inside? You know, I, I think everybody's different. And I, I, I think for people like reading both my books, they sort of get the sense that I honestly, I bow to that way that the divine comes uniquely in each person as opposed to rules about how it has to happen. So for me, when when people talk about intention, I always think, yeah, here's my fundamental intention that the divine take over any illusion of the small self running things. So I think that's what matters is that when you're when you're in the thick of a problem or you're suffering over a loss or you're, you know, dealing with any kind of travail that that simply that intention of saying to the divine um, allow me to offer this to you. And I think it really doesn't matter. You know, sometimes I do actually hold my hands open in a it just happens spontaneously in a mudra of receiving, but I just don't think it matters. I think what matters is the heartfelt cry. It's really like the cry of, you know, a bird or something, you know, your soul's crying to the source of love saying, I don't want to do this only from the ego anymore. Has there been something that's happened in the last few years in your life that you were like, oh, okay, this is a tough one. This is a tough one for me to offer, to let go. Or have you been working with this practice of offering everything to the divine so consistently that it's just now a, a reflex, it just happens, no big challenge? No, no. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because I would say both. Like, it is a reflex. Like, it, the, the impulse is in my veins now to do it, and I think that can happen to anybody. I'm not special. I think it's just a muscle that gets built up. It's what becomes an innate reflex. You're like, oh, I'm grasping. I'm trying to control. There's a Sanskrit term, you know, paragraha, which is about opening and releasing. And so I think the impulse is always towards give it back to the divine, call in the divine to take it back. However... You know, having said that, <laughs> I would say every week there's a new way that the divine, to me, gets to take me deeper with it. Like, I mean, the example in the Change Me Prayer book um, about when my mom was dying, to me, was like the fundamental depth of that because I was so uh, insanely close to my mom and had talked to her every day for 50 years, really. 
And then when she died, quite suddenly, that was so clear to me that wasn't anything that the ego was going to be able to manipulate through, you know, affirmations. Oh, all is well, I'm happy, she's in a better place. It's like, that wasn't going to work. I was just devastated. But the prayers where I could say to the divine, shift me into somebody who can handle this. Allow me to open to love. Allow me to feel her no matter where she is right now. Let me open to her. It's like these. so many of these are prayers of opening and releasing and receiving, all things that the ego of its own volition just does not want to do, right? It's getting an identity out of not doing those things. In Change Me Prayers, you have offered to people, to use that word, a series of written prayers that they can use for different circumstances in their lives and different challenges that might come up. And, you know, we're here, we're talking about this idea of loss. And of course, there are all different kinds of loss, but the loss of a loved one is such a deep one. And it's such a difficult one to accept. And I thought it might be really beneficial for people if they could hear some of the actual prayers from Change Me Prayers from your book. And I'm wondering if you could read us the one about loss. Yeah, sure. And can, I just want to say one thing with, with these, which is that in the beginning when my publisher wanted me to write this book, I one of my resistance at first was like, I thought, well, I don't want this to be like, here's a cookbook of prayers, and now everybody should quote me. I wanted to be like, these are the, this is what I use. Let it be a jumping off point so that you deepen the conversation with the divine in your own heart and then people will get their own words. So I have to just say that as I read it. It's, it'll, it'll hopefully just spur something in someone's own heart about how to open to the divine. Um, so this one's on loss. Change me into one who trusts you as the ultimate source for all. Let me know abundance of every kind comes from you alone. May I neither fear loss nor cling to gain, knowing you take care of me in every possible way. Let me trust that any seeming loss can be replenished according to your will in the most synchronous and beautiful ways. May I relax and enjoy your gifts to me. And that one, I think, was more about material loss, but there's one after it that's Also, just when you're in times of emptiness. So let me read that too. Mm -hmm. Change me into one who trusts your plan fully and with total faith, even when transitory appearances make it look like you don't know what you're doing. May I always trust your guidance. Grant me patience, faith, and clarity. Please just show me the next step. All is well. Now, it's interesting, Tosha, that you said that you didn't want your book, Change Me Prayers, to be like a reference book of prayers that didn't inspire people to come up with their own prayers and write their own prayers and you know uh-huh. follow their own inspiration. And I'm curious, if somebody wanted to 
compose a change me prayer for something that's happening in their life, what would be some guidelines for how to do that? Well, I think I think the main thing with it is that you just think about the constriction that you're in. Like, let's say, I think a lot of people have actually been feeling this over the last few months. It's partly because of the astrological transits we've been in. It's like one major cycle of almost an epic has, has ended for many people and a new chapter starting, and a lot of people have felt sort of in that middle zone of the mystery, not knowing what's coming next. So, like, to use that as an example, uh, you know, a prayer that would just say, like, allow me to open to the mystery, let me trust, blah, 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 blah. It's like, rather than, I I say this a lot in the preface of the book, it's not like these are prayers for dictating a specific outcome. And um, <laughs> the, the example I'm, I'm, you know, because then they just become like misguided affirmations. The example that was in the book is that there's a woman who gets attracted to some guy who lives next door to her house and who's, you know, married to somebody else. And so she, she wrote me that she was doing change me prayers saying, you know, change me into someone that he'll leave his life for. And I was like writing back to her going, um, that's not what these are for. These are to open to the divine will for the highest outcome and, and for the constriction that's in you. So like for her, the example that I, I gave her was like, you could do a change me prayer that says, allow me to know I deserve love myself. Allow me to know the highest that's meant for me can be received as opposed to fixating on a specific outcome and trying to manipulate it with a prayer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think one of the things that's interesting about the title, Change Me Prayers, is I'm focusing on changing me, not changing the situation, not changing others. And yeah, that's really, that's interesting that you think that's the focus of letting the divine take the lead is changing yourself. Well, and I would say actually allowing the divine to change you because I would say there's an entire self-help industry <laughs> that you would know quite well. That is all about how do I change myself, and that's primarily the ego trying to create a better ego in my, in my mind. So to me what this is is actually inviting this force of love to change us in ways that the ego might have no idea how to do. And and it's been interesting since that book came out because people that have written me, I mean, I'm a great believer in therapy and all kinds of, you know, work, but there are people that have written, they've been like, wow, I've been in therapy for 20 years trying to learn that I deserve to be loved. So you use that as an example. And all of a sudden, in all that time, it never occurred to me that I could go directly to the divine and I could say, shift me into someone who knows I deserve to be loved. Shift me into someone who knows my own value. You know, so there's, to me, this directness to it. It doesn't preclude, you know, whatever process somebody wants to do with a therapist or whatever, but this is like that there's this well of love that 
Sufi poets and everyone else has spoken about that can directly intervene and create changes when invited. Now I can imagine someone who's listening to this idea of shift me or change me might be saying, but I thought in all of the spiritual teachings I've been exposed to recently, the idea is that I don't have to change. There's actually nothing wrong with me to begin with, that I can just accept myself. Is Tosha saying yeah. something different than that? Or how is what she's saying compatible with that idea? I think it's very compatible with it, actually, because this isn't changing the fundamental core is you are love, you are the self. So, you know, yes, it's like every true spiritual teaching, one way or another, will take you back to that route. But in the meantime, what I found is that the ego will over and over grab the wheel and create false identities that get in the way of that. For example, you know, even something like... uh, you and I were talking about this before before we went on the air, like the idea of money. You know, that somebody will say, oh, you know, I've had a spiritual practice for 20 years. However, when it gets down to money, this is mine. And I would just say a prayer, it doesn't, you're not, you're still, of course you're good as you are. Of course you're whole as you are. You're not changing into somebody else. But saying to the divine, let me know everything that comes and everything that goes is part of this divine abundance. The ways that that changes how somebody approaches money are mind-blowing because they're suddenly able to give in ways they didn't know they could give. They're suddenly able to receive in ways they never knew they could receive. It's like it just opens a floodgate of opportunity that can't happen when somebody's grasping. Do you have a good change me prayer related to someone who might be struggling with issues of money or financial abundance? Yeah. Um, there's actually, let me go, okay, let me, let me read you part of this one about receiving because I think it's really helpful for money. There's a general one first, let me just say, that I've used a lot, which is, you know, allow me to always know myself as divine abundance or know myself as a vehicle for divine abundance or allow me to know that everything comes through me from you, the divine. But, but here's one on receiving because I actually think a lot of people have issues with, they'll say, you know, oh, I'm struggling all the time. It's always so hard to get anything that I need, it's hard to get the right money for this or that, and this relates to that. So, allow me, Divine Beloved, to be wildly open to receiving. Let me know my own value, beauty, and worthiness without question. Let me allow others the supreme pleasure of giving to me, and let me feel worthy to receive in every possible way. And you know, I'll tell you something with that one. A, a bunch of these, I, I, you know, before the book came out, I was putting them, you know, through social media on my Facebook page and stuff. 
And this one woman wrote me, I've actually gotten a lot of letters like this, where she'd say, you know, I kept applying for these jobs, and yet it wasn't until I started doing this prayer that I myself began to feel worthy of receiving these jobs. You know, so there's a, to me it's like it's a culture of efforting. It's like, well, I'll do it and work harder and send out more and, you know, advertise more. But if you're not in that space of knowing your fundamental value and your fundamental worth, then you extremely limit what can come. I, I just believe that on an energetic level. So this, I have all kinds of versions of these prayers about opening to receive, opening to know your own value, because it's so often at the bottom of it. And it's not about you know working harder on knowing that you're valuable. To me, it's actually allowing the divine to begin to take over the issue and allow you to see yourself in the way that love sees you. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to SoundsTrue.com backslash free. That's SoundsTrue.com backslash free. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. I'm imagining someone who's listening and perhaps a response from this imaginary person might be, look, you know, I don't have a problem receiving. I know I'm really worthwhile. I know I'm really lovable. I just have a problem with money. Like I have a money problem. I'm not paid enough in my job and I da 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 da. And how would that person then work with your work to directly address that challenge that they're facing? You could, you could say, um, I go back and forth between saying change me, shift me, allow me, let me. I mean, I think the words themselves don't really matter. They're, it's the invocation to the divine. You could say, um, let me become open to divine prosperity. Let me become open to trusting that all the money that is meant for me will always arrive. You know, let me live in a place of divine abundance, which to me is not about necessarily being a millionaire. It's about knowing that what you need will always come. And it's, you know, you could even do a prayer that says, change me into one who can live from divine source, because that, going back to, to Scoble Shin again, that was the core of it. It's that as that energy begins to take over your life, and it truly does, you begin to trust that every need is going to be met. So you even can say, shift me into one who knows that every need will be met. And sometimes you can even say, despite current appearances, you know, (laughs) despite what it looks like right now, I don't see where this is going to come from. I don't see how this is going to shift. Allow me to begin to trust that I can live from divine source. Let me receive. Let me open to a miracle. That's another one that I've used just in situations that absolutely you don't see how it's going to change. It's like, 
shift me into one that can open to a miracle of your grace. Oh, I like now, that. some of these, I would say, you have to actually practice them. It's easy to sort of be on the sideline being cynical, going, mm, yeah, whatever. But it's another thing, and I'll say this to people a lot, just, you know, take three weeks and use prayers like that. You have nothing to lose. You're already in a state of abject misery about the topic, whatever it is. Take three weeks and just do prayers like that and then just be open and notice the signs and the indications that come over the period that you do them. In your book, Outrageous Openness, you suggest that people can use a technique you call working with a God box. And I was wondering if you could introduce how people might work with a God box. Yeah, you know, I think the God box in some ways was my response to, you know, I, I would call it like vision board fever. <laughs> when yeah. it, people out there were all like, oh, you know, you have to make this vision board and you put down all your desires and you fixate on it over and over until you manifest it. And I, you know, to me, coming from this place that actually I find it much more interesting to watch what the universe well, really, like Ajashanti says, what the universe can manifest when you get out of the way is far beyond anything that the ego can manifest through a shopping list. So um, the God box is really like that. It's like when you have a problem, going back, say, to the issue you brought up with money, you you just write, you can write the issue down, you could write a prayer down, there's no rule to it. But you find some kind of container. Some people make these very elaborate artistic boxes and some just use something simple. And you begin to write those issues and problems down and then you offer them. It's not just a mechanical action. You write them down and then you have the experience that as you're writing it down, you put it into the box that as it goes into the God box, it now no longer belongs to the ego as a problem to solve. It no longer belongs to the ego to manipulate. The divine will now show the right actions at the right time. So again, it's not passivity. It's, it's a container for offering. And that it sounds so basic, but for so many people, it's really strange how many letters I've gotten about the God box. Like for... Many people, just that simple act of writing it down, putting it in the box, not going, oh, I have to now fixate on this to try to manifest it. There's nothing to manifest. It now belongs to the divine for the right actions to be shown at the right time. And sometimes the right action is patience. You know, I found that people put it in the box. They don't see anything right away. And the divine saying, just, just wait. Let me unfold this. Do you have a God box, Tosha? And if so, what does it look like? <laughs> you know, that's really a great question because I have had various ones over the years, and some of them, I'm pretty artistic myself, so some of them have been just things that I totally got into making with paint and jewels and stuff. And at the moment, I don't actually have one. I have a mental one. And mm -hmm. it's 
I would say, used constantly from that way we were talking about at the beginning of the interview. It's like as soon as something begins to feel like suffering, that's how you know that you're suffering over something. The attachment has happened and it goes back in the box. And sometimes if it's a deep attachment, it goes back in the box a hundred times and then it lets go. Now, you mentioned that it's important that you don't just put it into the box mechanically. It's not just a mechanical thing, but that your heart is somehow involved. And and I wonder if you can talk more about that, what the sort of deeper feeling or somatic dimension is when you offer something and let it go, what that feels like. Yeah. Yeah, um... You know, I guess I, I, on one level I could rephrase that and I could say, well, offering it mechanically is better than nothing, right? <laughs> it's like you could offer it mechanically and I still think the act of writing it down and giving it over might in its own way cause a shift. But for me, you know, all these processes that are really in both books are about deepening the conversation with the inner divine. And everybody has their own conversation. You know, to me, it's like I have a lot of fire in my chart, so I have this sort of passionate, intense relationship to my inner divine. And somebody else could be much more restrained by nature, and that's equally fine and have much a much quieter inner connection. But it's equally beautiful. So to me, that's really the purpose of the work I'm doing is rather than having people see these outer authorities as being their lifeline to the divine, that you go, this voice inside is waiting to commune with you, and there are techniques that allow that to occur. And so I'd say that active offering, whatever your own nature, however your own nature expresses it, it will deepen as you give it attention. Well, maybe a different way then of asking my question would be, what does it feel like inside you when you make that act of offering, you make that shift me move? What does that feel like inside? You know, it's, I'd say it's different all the time. There's, there's times you know you know how this is, like you're you're dealing with something, it's really causing pain, it's really causing suffering, and you get to that place where you are, I call it like a 100% offering, where you really know you just can't have the ego carrying this burden anymore. And so to me when it's a full offering of the issue, whatever, I actually just had to do it recently I, I taught a, a big class and the live feed of the class got screwed up so even though the content was all great we had several days of fi- fixing yeah. the mess that happened with the feed so that's a good example you know, I'm a yeah. Capricorn I like things done well and it was like to, to just I literally had to get on my knees and just say to God this is not mine this will make me crazy. I have a great team. I have wonderful people. And for whatever reason, this got screwed up. Get me out of the way so I'm not suffering over this. 
And that offering really, like, just let me get out of it and get on with my life and just decide it belongs to the divine. And sure enough, you know, within two, three days, it was all unscrambled and, you know, nobody died and it's all fine. But, you know, it's that feeling. You literally, for me, I felt my own hands unclenched. And so if there's things that tend to hook me, they're, they're often those kind of things, like wanting something done well and it isn't. And, you know, that's my small self. It doesn't mean I don't have standards. But sometimes the divine likes to throw a wrench in to let you let go. And I find these just so helpful, so helpful. I was reading Outrageous Openness this morning, and one of the things I read was that when you teach classes on divine order, you sometimes recommend to people that they spend the first part of the series of classes cleaning out their homes, cars, purses, wallets, things like that, and that it can be extremely helpful as part of this openness process to let go of clutter. And as I read it, I immediately found my purse and took about 15 minutes and <laughs> cleared everything out of it. I had so much junk and I, you know, it was bothering me. But tell me a little bit yeah. more because, you know, sometimes people, oh, you know, I have to clear out clutter. And I think oh, it's kind of superstitious sort of connection with making space for things in your life. But yeah. I'm curious what you think about it. Yeah, you know, I actually think on an energetic level, it's, it's extremely practical. You know, it, it's not just a superstition about making space. I think really on an energetic level, and you can often feel it in your own body. I mean, I'm curious how you felt after you cleaned it fabulous, out. Fabulous, fabulous. I had a renewed, know, renewed awesome. connection to my purse. <laughs> and I mean, I would say to maybe existence itself. Like this is, it's one of the things that I do when I'm depressed or I'm upset, which certainly, you know, it's not like doing these things doesn't mean that the small self isn't going to have a bad day sometimes. So one of the first things I actually go do is clean out some part of my space because you, it's, it's, there's actually a part of outrageous openness where it sort of says you, you can pick a drawer that's a mess and as you untangle it, you get untangled. You know, it, it becomes a template for your own soul. And I really find that to be true. And also, in those classes, um, it, it's just extraordinary that the people going in and, you know, sometimes they'll release, you know, 10 years of love letters, like from a partner. They'll just release this stuff that... I'm not telling people what to release. Their own souls are showing them, like it's keeping them so locked in the past and in, you know, the clutter or the the energy literally cannot move to let the new enter. So I think it's, it's the reason, you know, that uh, there's actually this great book, The Japanese Art, The Magic Art of Tidying Up, which has a silly title, but... It's it's kind of a great book that really goes on through everything that I'm talking about and outrageous openness about it, that your own fullness can't really emerge if you're surrounded by what restricts you. 
And that can even mean people. It can really go beyond objects. It can mean all hmm. kinds of Tell me more what you mean by that. Well, I think that, you know, in this process of letting the divine take the lead, it's not just like like laying there with your palms open going, okay, God, take over. I think you get shown on a very intuitive level who's good for you, who's not good for you. I think, you know, the culture teaches all kinds of obligation, like, oh, you know, you should have this person around. They've been around for 10 years now. could be for 10 years. <laughs> they've been absolutely toxic and exhausting. Or they've been, um, you know, you've been, like, working very hard to, to keep up the connection, but actually every time you're around them, you're tired. I think th- this process of, of letting the divine take the lead begins to just show that begins to show you where you energized, where you uplifted, and where you exhausted. And it shows it in a very intuitive way, and you just find yourself almost um, innately pulling away from situations that are draining and exhausting, moving towards situations that are enlivening, because the inner divine is literally taking you and showing you. Now, you made this really, I thought, important point earlier about receiving and how you've noticed that people often have challenges. I mean, you didn't quite say this, but that we often reach some sort of ceiling that we can't receive more than that ceiling, whether that's happiness or money or pleasure or something. We, we bump up against some, that's enough, that's all I deserve, or that's all I can yeah, handle, yeah. something like that. And what do you think creates, in your experience, having done all these readings with people and now working with Outrageous Openness and Change Me Prayers, what do you think creates those kinds of ceilings in us about happiness and abundance? An insane culture, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's funny. Remember, I, I was thinking about that. I guess it became kind of famous. I don't even know if it's apocryphal, but you know, supposedly like when the Dalai Lama first came to the West, you know, he said something like, I don't, somebody had to sit with him for two or three hours and explain to him how somebody could be taught to hate themselves. Yeah. It's like, to me, it, it, I love that story because I'm like, yeah, you know, people have to systematically be taught to hate themselves, I, I honestly feel that. So, and again, it sort of takes me back to the power of these prayers. I can use myself as an example. On the, the receiving used to be really, really hard for me. And when I was little, I mean, well, not that little, I was like 13, I had this like sign over my bed, and it basically said, if you don't do it, it won't get done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just thinking, I just have these, like, pictures of this, like, 13-year-old teen kind of, like, already, you know, the Capricornian weight of the world was on there, like, I was going to have to do it all, and I'd already figured that out. And so this process of opening to the divine over these years and going, the more you learn to receive, which the prayers absolutely invoke, that sense of worthiness and deserving, so much of the efforting begins to fall away. And it doesn't mean you don't take the right actions at the right time or you don't go kick ass. I mean, it's everything we are talking about before. It has nothing to do 
with empowered action at the right time, but it's more the openness to receive can be absolutely invoked and cultivated, and you can even say, just shift me into one who knows my own value and knows my deserving to receive. You know, I had to even learn it with things like a compliment. You know, like somebody would say, oh, I really like what you're wearing. And you know, someone would say to me later, you, know, you don't have to say back, I like what you're wearing too. It's like you can just receive that. It was like I just had to learn the whole thing, you know. So a lot of that, I think, is cultural and that it's not selfish and that it has certainly nothing to do with egotism. It's like you're receiving on behalf of the divine. Hmm, that's a helpful idea. I I think it's really true. It's like you're receiving on behalf of love. So in a way, if somebody wants to give you something, you know, if it feels right, if somebody wants to give to you or somebody wants to, you know, even a compliment, whatever it is, if you're receiving it, on behalf of the divine, then no problem. Now, Tosha, before our conversation ends, I want to make sure I talk to you about something because I think in the world of spiritual journeying, one of the things that there's so much confusion about is manifestation, the law of attraction, how we bring things into our life that we want. And we've been talking about this in in many ways throughout our whole conversation, but I wonder if you were to give Tosha Silver's manifestation (laughs) manifesto, if you were to just lay it out for people very simply, what would it be? I would say it's Nisargadatta's quote that when raging desires are allowed to melt into preferences. Everything begins to happen through you instead of by you. So, to me, you know, it's not like there's anything evil about manifesting. It's just an extremely conventional manifesting. It's just an extremely limited approach to life, to me. Because, you know, what the ego with its endless shopping list can come up with. It's not only that the ego is limited in terms of what it can come up with, it's also that the identity is coming out of the illusion that getting this thing or that thing is actually going to bring any kind of ongoing happiness. So, you know, this to me the process of beginning to invite the divine to take over then even the deepest desires, in fact, especially, not even, but especially the deepest desires, they get handed over not to kill them or to quell them, but to go, here, you know, I really long for this. I'm handing it to the divine. Show me your will. And, you know, even a change me prayer that says, allow me to trust that if I hand this to love, What needs to happen will happen. Either it will birth in the way that it needs to or you're being spared something for your own good. It's like there's so many pieces of this that you get out of the illusion that just fixating on 
the ego's list is what's going to bring the joy and you start to really to me it's that Nisargadatta quote you start to let life happen through you instead of by you and it's a whole other story you use the word trust Tosha and you know it's a very powerful word and I think some people they hear the word trust and they relax and they go yes and other people hear the word trust and some part of them immediately become suspicious uh, <laughs> you know like really come on I'm a smart person yeah. I wasn't born yesterday I'm not just going to trust yeah. that, you know and so what would you say to that person who when they hear that word trust they have some kind of slight suspicious clenching yeah see I have to say you know I really love the cynics I, I don't know if it's because I like, grew up on the east coast or I'm Jewish or what but you know I'm I'm the thing with to me about the cynicism is like it's totally fine and there are change me prayers if you're happy in the cynicism then that's great and I have a very ironic sense of humor myself but if the cynicism is making you suffer in ways that you would like to perhaps play with, then, you know, there's a change prayer because there's really a change prayer for everything. And you can say, just like an experiment, you could say, allow me to begin to trust this force of love. And I would say that's a great one. Just very simple. You know, let me begin to trust this force of love. Let me begin to trust where I'm being guided. Let me begin to trust my own worthiness. It's like you can pray for trust. You can pray for faith. You can kind of pray for any of those qualities that I spent years banging my head on the wall going, how do you get these qualities? People are telling me just go do it. It doesn't happen. You can pray for them. Now, you mentioned, Tosha, the bhakti path. You said something like, you know, I'm a bhakti person. And I'm curious to know more, what do you think it means in a contemporary world, our contemporary world, to follow a bhakti path? What does that mean to you? Well, you know, I actually think it's, it's oddly apropos in a culture that is fixated on romantic love, almost like a drug. And this idea, you know, in the culture that, you know, everybody's just going to, like, find this person and then run off with them and happily ever after. So to me, you know, the bhakti uh, path, which, you know, if anybody doesn't know, it's really just that thing of allowing the inner divine to be your beloved. It doesn't take away, you know, if there's going to be a human beloved, great, you know, fine, that's wonderful. But that the core of the engagement is with this inner love and really what that does, and that's why I think it's, it's uniquely contemporary in a way too, given the fixations of this culture. It's like all these things that people are taught like, uh, you know, you're addicted to this person and you can't live without them. And, oh, my God, if they ever leave you, you're going to die. And, I mean, you really just turn on any radio station and all those, all those lyrics. It's like those lyrics can go to the inner divine. 
And again, it doesn't preclude there being a person as well, but it doesn't just get laid on that outside person. And especially also, I'm, you know, thinking about this like even with holidays coming up, this way like the holidays does this thing with people that aren't in partnership or, or that don't have family, all this loneliness that's, you know, almost part of the fabric of a culture like certainly like the states, that inner divine, you know, to me on the bhakti path is the companion. It's what, you know, Rumi called the friend. And you go into this ever-deepening union with that friend, and then everything else is icing on the cake. Okay, Tosha, I just have two final questions for you. Yeah. Okay, here's okay. the first one. Our program's called Insights at the Edge, and I'm always curious to know what someone's edge is, their growing edge or leading edge in their life in terms of their inner journey of unfolding and development, and I'd be curious to know what that is for you. You know, I actually would say it's it's very tied to the time I'm in at the moment, which is the, this great mystery that my life is sitting in where it does feel as if a certain big chapter of my life has finished and a new chapter is starting at some divinely ordained time. But hasn't quite opened yet. And so I'm really having this experience of being in this very, very pregnant pause. And I would say that is that is my edge. And in a way, it's a kind of a good pun because it's like being on that boundary of events coming in. But I've, I've been in that pause for a few months and finding that changing prayers are letting me relax into it in a way that, you know, many years ago it would have been like, whoa, what on earth is happening? But it lets you relax into it until the right actions get shown. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. And finally, I'm wondering if it would be okay if we could end our conversation by offering our listeners some kind of prayer in their life, maybe a kind of wholesale giving it over to the divine type of prayer. Sure. Okay. So, what if you just focus inside of yourself, whoever you are hearing this, and we'll just all together, calling in that inner force of love, that inner divine. And just saying, allow me, in whatever way feels right, to offer my current state to you. Wherever I am, whatever I'm feeling, Whatever confusion, whatever joy, whatever's happening, let me offer that right now to this force of love, knowing that all actions 
will get shown at the right time. There's a specific problem that's really plaguing you. Allowing that problem to get offered over. Shift me into one who can offer even this issue, even this burden. Allow me to offer it to love, to be shown the right actions at the right time. I've been speaking with Tosha Silver. She's the author of the book Outrageous Openness, Letting the Divine Take the Lead, and a new book called Change Me Prayers, The Hidden Power of Spiritual Surrender. Tosha, it's so great to talk to you and to have you as a guest on Insights at the Edge. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tammy. Soundstree.com. Many voices, one journey. Thank you for listening.